Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast edition. This is Claire. And this is Cece. And hello friends, welcome to our headline news edition of our 20th series of sedition on April 11th, 2021. We have three very interesting stories and even better takes, so let's get into it. Yes, so our first story of this week is that Biden has ordered a review of the Supreme Court. So... Recently, in an executive order, President Biden commissioned a six-month-long investigation into adding more seats into the highest court of the land, as you could say. And this is basically part of this campaign promise of his, uh, right after Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing, to create a bipartisan task force, a commission of some sort, to look into both like the consequences of expanding the court and even setting limits to the life terms of the judges. Much of this is because of left-wing pressure that has been put on Biden to balance out the current 6-3 to three power that leans to the conservative side because since Trump has been in term for his four years, he has added three SCOTUS judges and they're all conservative. And although Biden has never explicitly stated that he'll increase judge seats and implement other changes, he acknowledges that the nomination processing uh, is quote-unquote getting out of whack, which does not even make sense as a quote. Anyways, (laughs) he claims that he's also not a fan of court packing, of which many Republicans and other critics have slammed on him because of this commission. But as of right now, the real purpose of this commission is really unclear, actually. It doesn't plan to recommend anything to Congress, nor is it meant to state the White House's official stance, merely as a recommendation for Biden himself. The 36 people who are uh, part of this commission, which is actually a big jump from uh, many news outlets' original estimate of 9 to 15 members, are headed by many staffers and advisors who are actually under Obama. So once these 36 people hold their first official public meeting, they will have their time limit of 180 days or six months to get the job done. And they will continue to hold many official public meetings to hear from interested individuals, you could say. They also plan to look at historical precedents in any nomination changes, and the consequences of such changes, as this type of reform will definitely be one for the decades, right? Even Breyer, the oldest Supreme Court justice, who has been pressured recently by progressives to step down, had a few choice words to say at a Harvard Law School commencement just last week, virtually, of course. And he says that any changes will ruin the trust in the institution. Now that, like, I think of it, right, really a reform this big or, like, a pressure this big was just seen, what, less than a century ago, right, Mm -hmm. in Franklin Roosevelt's court-packing pressure, right? Right, right, right. And the current Supreme Court rules are actually only since the Civil War and I know it seems like a long time ago, but to be honest, in like the whole scope of history and in the history of many other countries, a hundred years is like not much, you know? How many presidents is it in a hundred years? 
20? I think less though, right? Because some of them have the eight-year terms. That's true. So we don't know. That's yeah. true. I'm just thinking like 44 president, 45 presidents and our country has been alive for 200 so years. Mm-hmm. So a little less than 20, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not like these changes are unprecedented for sure, but they have definitely been so ingrained. No one who has seen the Civil War is still alive at this point. Mm-hmm. Like in a lifetime perspective, of course, that's a really long time. But in terms of change, and... Yeah, and this... Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, go on, go on. Oh, I was going to say, and Biden's not wrong, right? It's going... If this were actually to get reform, which... I don't think it's likely, and I'll talk about that later, but if it does, it definitely will stay for a while, right? It's so hard to get institutional reform. Like, impossible. Not impossible. I will say impossible, but in this, not, in general, it is hard, but also in this sort of partisan uh, hostility and current, like polarization, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And going back to like why looking at the situation and how it's going to get passed, one, like the fact that it's just the commission and Biden has not put out any other plans for like doing so. Like he doesn't say he'll take the recommendations or he'll put some uh, like whole new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so it seems more to appease, like, the fact that he made a campaign promise. And, I mean, the campaign promise was to make a commission, right? He didn't say anything would come out of it. But he <laughs> does... Ag- <laughs> but I will say that he does acknowledge that, like, he has been publicly pressured mm-hmm. and asked on the spot about actual reform. And he says he's not against it. So it leaves a lot of, like, gray area. Right, he's not clear about it at all. Even though his Mm -hmm. campaign was definitely much more progressive. Well, not totally progressive, just more like, oh, reform, right? Reform, we're going to change a lot of stuff. Change a lot of stuff that Trump did. But I know it takes time for change to happen. Yeah, but I don't know. We just... There aren't that many promises being made in terms of actions and things like that. Well, yeah. I mean, it's... It's only been that. It hasn't been that long since he's been in office, though, so... That is true. Like, from his point, I do understand because as a president, right, especially his message of, like, bipartisan unity, it's really hard for him to take a stance without getting bashed on another side right if he says oh i want to reform right republicans will harp on that even more like they harped on him for even making this commission and this commission doesn't really do anything except like explore the consequences right yeah there's no change that's actually being instilled right now yeah but if he says oh i don't think we should reform anything right yeah but i feel like uh either way bashed by the progressives yeah either way Whichever route he chooses to take, he is going to get backlash either way. You can't satisfy everyone. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. And I think as a public figure, right? Even just not saying anything or not doing anything is you're going to upset people. Yeah, yeah. Like staying neutral is really still taking a stance.、Mm-hmm. And like I said, him kind of balancing this partisan tug of rope <laughs> is like it's fifty fifty in the Senate right now. So right. So if he even wants to pass any reform, yes, he could pass it as executive, pass a an executive order. But the reforms needed to change an institution like the Supreme Court needs to go through Congress, right? And boy, will Congress put up a fight, especially the Republicans. Well, of course. What are we expecting? Yes, Biden, you may do as you choose. <laughs> Yeah, so I at this point, unless, well, at in this situation, I don't think anything will really come out of this commission.、Mm-hmm. Maybe the nomination, pro- like if I'm ranking likely, a、uh, likelihood of things passing the nomination process, maybe the expanding court ju- justices is like a no. It's like very likely no, and the life, like the term limits for judge, even more no. Like that's a bigger no because I think that is the basis. It's in our constitution, you know.、Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it is in our constitution that it's a life term, and so these it would require a constitutional amendment. Amendment, right? Wow, that'd be so hard. So, since the number of Supreme Court justices is not set by the Constitution, it can just be passed by a law. But since the life term stuff is set by the Constitution, that will require a constitutional amendment, which is like way harder to pass because、mm-hmm. you need agreement with a lot of people, and we know that's not going to happen. Very easily, yeah. So I mean, I'd be surprised if if anything actually did happen, or change anything、right? really comes out of this. Yeah, yeah. So our second story is that Bowling Green State Fraternity is punished for hazing after a student's death. In Ohio, the Bowling Green State University's chapter of Pi Kappa Alpha has been removed from the university and the fraternity organization. This means that the fraternity will no longer be recognized on campus. Last month, a fellow student, Stone Flots, died of consuming excessive alcohol during a frat party. After that, the international organization Pi Kappa Alpha came out, speaking against such illegal activities, and suspended the BGSU chapter indefinitely. While this happened, the university took a month-long investigation into the university fraternity and found that they had actually violated six codes of conduct. Amongst these are hazing violations, inflicting harm, and more. They also found that there was an initiation process that involved forcing new members to chug an entire bottle of alcohol, blindfold them, and push them around. They also found that members of the fraternity had lied during a similar investigation back in 2018. Once these investigation results came out, the international organization revoked the charter, expelling all members. They will never be able to use the logos and associate with Pi Kappa Alpha, which is also abbreviated as Pike. 
So far, since local law enforcement investigations are still ongoing, no legal action has been taken against the fraternity nor its members. However, EBGSU has made a statement on introducing anti-hazing education, which is a way to keep track of hazing incidents and also other policies. The president of BGSU has also even come out in support of state and federal anti-hazing laws. Oh wow, I thought this was already not allowed. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's definitely more prevalent in Midwest and Southern schools, uh-huh. and less so in like places like Berkeley. But I mean, you hear stories, they're not uncommon. That's true, though. I've definitely heard of having people yeah. be introduced into frats and whatnot by chugging mm-hmm. alcohol. Yeah. And deaths are rare, of course, but, I mean, that's what is set out in the news, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when deaths happen, it's big. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> I feel like colleges, what was I going to, I was going to say, <laughs> was based off what you had mentioned before was, like, how you thought that they don't have this anymore and there'd be something against it. But honestly, I hear stories now and then, now and, like, here and there, uh, but nothing really changes. Like, it just always shows up. The same stories keep popping up. Colleges are just so slow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the fact that, I mean, obviously, drinking in college is definitely pretty common, Hazing is it's just an extreme level of it. And it just blows my mind that the people running the college aren't aware of this. Like, they must be, right? If they hear all the time. Then I'm they sure should, rumors yeah, have gone around. exactly. Like, oh, did you hear this person? Like, was like, rarely pleased. think, yeah. Right. Yeah, like, rarely are things kept a secret in college, right? You always, like, just hear snippets of it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this guy was at a fraternity, uh, the guy who died, right, was at a fraternity event. And it, it's not like a, they're holding secret meetings. Like, it's out in the open. Yeah. And I feel like I feel- it just goes to show how um, out of touch many of the people running the school are with the actual students, right? Right. And this could apply to many other scandals like such as like sexual assault right Ah, hazing usc scandal Um, yeah took them so long to compensate yeah but you know they're so quick to point things out like plagiarism uh (laughs) which one's more important my friend people's lives or some words oops somebody copied something Yeah, of course, that's still serious, but come on. Yeah. I think people just need to, like, move away from tradition. I don't know. I mean, obviously, these these things are taught to them, right? They're taught that it's okay to hate someone, that it's okay to, one, go through it, right? Because everyone else has gone through it, but also to do it to another person. Right, because it's tradition. Yeah, and it's, although maybe, you know, I don't know the fraternity members' backgrounds, right? Um, and mm-hmm. they've been through it themselves, and they're inflicting harm on others. So it's kind of like a cycle, right? And who are we to blame? But at the same time, they can't not face any consequence. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And yeah, like I think I mentioned before, but it was talking more about mental illness, but this still does apply. You have many explanations, but doesn't mean that it's excusable. Right, you know? right, right. It can be explained, but not excused, right? That's such a big argument, you know? Yeah, it, I do think those kids should be expe- uh, like suspended, if not expelled. At least some type of consequence, right? Yeah, and I'm always like, what does it mean by anti-hazing education? Like, I don't... Oh, don't let this happen? Like... I feel like it's so vague and so weird, right? Because, mm-hmm. one, you're bound to... Like, if you join a fraternity, you know what... You like most likely know what you're getting into. And if you're already in it, why would you even listen to these anti-hazing education programs? But I do understand to some point, like the point of anti-hazing is to these educational programs is to make sure that there's a culture against hazing so that people can speak up when they see it, right? Right. But like you had also mentioned before, Claire, things take time. Change Mm -hmm. does not happen. Overnight. Yeah, especially when it comes to these societal things right education is honest like just goes back to education i don't know what to say (laughs) it just everything goes back to education and how we're taught yeah those ideas are instilled with you right from the very start and influences your behavior throughout the rest of your life so i guess yeah if we change how we educate people about stuff like this anti-hazing then hopefully their actions will change but then again, yes, it takes so much time, maybe even, like, generations, right? Because if you already have these ideas instilled, then it's much harder for you to change. Whereas, if you instill different ideas already at a young age, or something like that, then it's much easier, right? Because that's yes. all you know. Yeah. Correct. So, for our last story, we move all the way across to China and Taiwan. U.S. recently increased interaction with Taiwan despite the current U.S.-China tensions. So the State Department has now made it easier for U.S. officials to meet with Taiwanese representatives, which does away with some of Beijing's rules that restricted dealings with Taiwan, like in-person meetings, right? President Biden's move showcases the U.S.'s increasing support for Taiwan, who happens to be a self-government uh, a self-governing democracy, yay, which is quite contrary to China. And Taiwan's mission in Washington called the Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office in the United States, long name, welcomes these new guidelines. In his last days of office, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said he would end previous guidelines in dealing with Taiwan but not issue new ones. This confused people as to what was really changing. And one of these was about open meetings. So the U.S. allowed interactions with Taiwanese diplomats after uh, Pompeo ended the previous guidelines. So now U.S. officials can invite Taiwanese representatives into government buildings in Washington. They can also attend working-level meetings at the Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office. And the new policy will relax the previously strict restrictions on whether or not junior U.S. officials can appear at Twin Oaks, which is a resident of Taiwan's envoy in Washington. Another touchy subject is with the China-U.S. relations. So 
as I'm sure we all know, China has plans to reunify Taiwan to the mainland by force if necessary. And recently, Taiwan has experienced more and more air attacks by Beijing. U.S. has warned China about any violence China may be planning to use. And so under the Taiwan's Relation Act, which was approved by Congress when the U.S. switched recognition, Washington is required to give Taiwan weapons for their self-defense. At the same time, Congress continues to consider creating legislation to counter Beijing's influence. The Strategic Act, uh, Competition Act of 2021 includes many of these methods to fight Beijing. The bill addresses economic competition with China and economic and democratic values. This includes imposing sanction for China's treatment of the minority Muslim Uyghurs and U.S.'s support for Hong Kong democracy. Basically, a buttload of and a culmination of all these, like a whole bunch of issues rising together. That like in a boiling tension. pot. Yes. Yeah. So with uh, the our U.S. Taiwan relation and uh, U.S. Hong Kong relations, it's just like itching at China's, like breathing down China's neck, <laughs> yeah. and they're annoyed. <laughs> And we're also annoyed. <laughs> China keeps wanting to bring back places that have already broken off. Yeah, like chill, bro. I mean, technically, chill, Hong Xi Kong Jinping. hasn't broken off. That's true. But However, I, a lot of them. The, yeah, I don't think Hong Kong people identify with China much anymore. Like, I remember yeah. there's this one time in physics, I had a classmate who was from Hong Kong. And my parents are also, I guess you could say, from Hong Kong. And he asked me, hey, what do you identify as? And I was like, uh, Chinese, I guess. I don't know. And he was like, shame. Shame. You identify <laughs> as Hong Kong. And I was like, okay. Jeez. And I am also realizing that my mom also, I guess, identifies more with Hong Kong than China. Because she grew up always thinking that Hong Kong wasn't exactly a part of China. She grew up under Britain's influence. Right. Yeah. I mean, for many people, especially our parents' generation, it was hard for them to... I mean, actually, it depends, right? Because of China's education, a.k.a. propaganda. Oh, <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> um, other issue. Uh, they're obviously espousing that Hong Kong is part of China, but for like our parents' generation growing up, the economic conditions were miles apart, right? Right, right, right. Hong Kong was completely open while China was completely closed. And only like when my mom was headed to college did mainland China begin to open up. So, yeah. It, um, but, like, Beijing, why do they keep pushing at Taiwan? Like, clearly they have their own democracy. Their I dialect is completely different. Officially, I'm pretty yeah. sure, right? Well, What's well, the <laughs> they did break up. So when Taiwan established its country, right, the U.S. recognized Taiwan, but not China. And then there was a change in pressure that U.S. started recognizing, or the, sorry, not U.S., the international U.N. started recognizing China instead of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And so ethnically, yes, they are 
Chinese because the people in Taiwan, as least the government ruling Taiwan, are basically people who fled from China, right? But right. culturally, they're completely definitely different. not. Yeah, Taiwan is way more progressive than China. Not only in like how they run their government, but also culturally, right? They're um, they're socially progressive. Mm-hmm. I think they were the first to pass, like the first Asian country to pass to allow same sex marriage. So, imagine that happening in China. You can China. <laughs> when could they have their veiled homophobia and weird obsession at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> people, I don't know why people don't talk about it enough. China has like this weird obsession with BL, but are so homophobic. I don't know what's going on. They're weird. Yeah, I mean, obviously there is some distinction between the government and what people actually want. You could say that, but. But still, you know. And, but I, so obviously Xi Jinping is definitely pushing on Taiwan to be still part, uh, to still consider it as part of mainland China. When Consider? Consider? They're forcing, they're forcing Taiwan. (laughs) They're not letting them consider. China plans to reunify Taiwan to the mainland by force if necessary. There is no consideration. And I don't know why. Like, they don't even... Like, these people don't even want to be part of your country. Why do you want to force why? someone exactly. to be part of you? Why do you want them so you don't... bad? What is your weird obsession with that? <laughs> why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> or why are you so obsessed with them? Why are you so obsessed with me? Boy, I want it. We could just play the Mariah Carey song. Oh, God. But I get it. Like... So growing up in my household and talking about these things, it's become clear to me that Xi Jinping is sort of looking for a legacy to leave behind, right? Because mm-hmm. think about it, like Mao Zedong had his cultural revolution. Um, Deng Xiaoping had his like opening up, right? He was the one that opened up. Right, what right. does Xi Jinping have? His, what like what will he leave in terms of like in the history books? Legacy, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he's kind of pushing for this legacy of, like, bringing, one, bringing Hong Kong back under control, and two, a bigger one, right, is definitely bringing back Taiwan. Because he, if he actually takes Taiwan by force, man, that would change history. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think it is, I don't think that will happen realistically because one it'll be so much harder for him like you like hong kong you already know it's not as independent right they already had yeah influence yeah. on hong kong yeah because if china because mm-hmm. if china directly attacks hong kong i mean they kind of already are but since they're completely like in international eyes and u.s eyes they are completely different countries it's basically an act of war right and mm-hmm. unlike Hong Kong, where it's more of like a civil dispute, you know, while right. this is an international one, and that will bring in everyone lot. else. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to be harder because I think, right, if, say, some dispute does bring out, uh, does like boil out, right, and people have to pick and choose allies especially since Taiwan is a pro-democratic and 
a more westernized country, you could say. I think it's very hard for China to find strong allies. Like say Russia, right?、Mm. Russia and China were stronger <laughs> allies because they were what you call communist, originally communist countries,、mm-hmm. and they still do sort of support each other. But Russia's kind of weakening by now. And、yeah, their influence really isn't as big as before, compared、yeah. to like other places in Europe, right? Yeah, and so if you have the bigger Western countries. More backing Taiwan and a lot of say the Southeast Asia countries don't even like China in general, right?、Uh-huh. Especially <laughs> India,、um, and that's where like South Korea, Japan, right? They're mainly going to side with Taiwan. Probably not going to China, yeah. So yeah, China's yeah. kind of like a lone goat on this one, but things will change, right? <laughs> I think、mm-hmm. one thing that we've definitely learned doing this podcast and like living life in this. Fast-paced world that we are currently born into because of the internet is that things change in a heartbeat.、Mm-hmm. Right? Well, it, that's what it seems like. Yeah. Oh yeah, that is what it seems like. And so we will definitely see where this is going. I don't think U.S. like China will just continue putting pressure. U.S. will be continued to like pressure back. I don't think, and. You know, it's hard to say where this will go. This could boil down as like this is just like stale, mate. Is that what we call it? Yeah, I、a、think stalemate. so. Stalemate, stalemate, or it could blow over and cause a war. Hooray! <laughs> Yay! That's another thing we might be living through. Good God, we're only seventeen. Yep. Well, that is all that we have for to you today. But to lighten up the mood. Yet again on this Sunday, we have our Sunday little snippet into the past. So on April eleventh, nineteen sixty one, folk singer Bob Dylan performs in New York City for the first time, opening for John Lee Hooker. Well, that's all. Like we said, thank you so much for listening, and have a great Sunday.